So Money Episode 784, Raj Jana, founder of Java Press Coffee. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. How do you make or take your coffee? Does it spark joy? Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm Farnish Tarabi. Thanks for joining. Our guest today is Raj Jana, and he's built a thriving business by turning the very common experience of making coffee into kind of an art form, and in the process has created a six-figure per month business. A little bit more about Raj. He was born to Indian parents who came to the U.S., with just a few dollars in their pockets. He previously worked at Chevron as an engineer until a life-changing moment at work that made him reevaluate his life path. Raj shares financial lessons learned from his upbringing, the changes he would try to make if he won the lottery, and some high-level coffee talk, like what is a pour-over and why is it Raj's go-to coffee order? Here's Raj Jana. Raj Jana, welcome to So Money. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited for a lot of reasons. One, I love coffee. I think uh, it's no secret. I'm a mom of two. I'm very caffeinated most of the day. And I'm excited to learn about how your company is changing the way that we think about coffee, how we drink our coffee. And it's, I mean, I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but just <laughs> as a tease to the audience, I mean, we're going to learn from Raj how to take an experience that we take for granted and turn it into a thriving business and an opportunity. So by the way, it started as a side hustle. Anyway, I'm getting ahead (laughs) of ourselves. Raj, I also wanted to bring you on the show because I think that your journey to becoming who you are, uh, you know, a child of immigrants, a guy who was working a day job, who just wanted more. And I think that's a a lot of our listeners. Like we're on the, we are on the path in the pursuit of, greatness and moreness, not more just for the sake of more. You had a a wake-up call uh, when you were at Chevron as a reservoir engineer. You had a mentor pass away uh, from a heart attack three months before retiring. That's very tragic. This really changed your course of life. Um, Was it immediate? Were you like, oh my gosh, what was it about your life that you felt was not fulfilling you? Um. Well, that's a great question for starters. So when I started my company, uh, you know, it, it didn't really start. I didn't really have the vision to think it was going to become, you know, what it is right now. I just really wanted something different. You know, I, for my entire life when I was in college and I was growing up, I'd always played sports and worked towards incredible goals and, and almost felt like I was leaving a mark just through the hobbies and the things I was doing for the first time in my life. When I started working full time, I felt like you know, my mark was going to be left at the end of my career. And in the traditional work world, the end of your career is when you retire. And so that light was so far ahead and I couldn't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that was the first start for me for really wanting to figure out entrepreneurship and really start dabbling and and, and start getting into the process itself. Um, and that was something that happened over time. 
Now the icing on the cake, you, you alluded to this in, in, in the intro, uh, but that was when one of my mentors, one of my first, his name was Jerry. He was a geologist at work. He sat right next to me and he was one of those, just a mentor who was, you know, he, he had done so much ahead of me that I learned a lot from him. And so whenever I was scared to ask questions to my boss, I'd go to Jerry and Jerry would be just really helpful. Uh, he was an old timer. He'd worked in the same company, uh, in the same job, in the same part of South Louisiana for 37 years. And so, you know, he had just seen everything in that region and he'd never changed anything. He was just a part of that story. And so when he passed, it was, it, it was a slap in the face to me. Um, I was mad. I was really mad. Uh, I, I didn't understand why uh, and how somebody could do everything right, play their cards right, do as the story tells us to do, and still be robbed at the finish line. And so I think more than anything, um, that experience sort of just confused me and fueled me, and it forced me to start asking the questions that I was avoiding in my life. And it, it really added that fuel to the fire. Uh, it was a long time coming, but that experience was really the catalyst that forced me to um, become obsessed with figuring out how I was going to build a company or build or replace my income and just grow this hustle and side hustle that I was growing um, through Java Press. Also, as I think a child of immigrants, I know your dad came to the U.S. with very little like 60 bucks in his pocket, but yeah. yet built a great life for your family. And I'm a child of immigrants. I feel like sometimes the the way that they want us to achieve success can sometimes be a limiting thing. Like you have to yeah. go to school, get the job. Like there's no talk of investing your entrepreneurship or taking big risks. It's funny. I make a joke like my parents risked everything to come here to take no chances. Like yeah. everything needs to be a sure bet <laughs> from here on out. You know, as a child of that environment, you can grow up sort of trying to follow the straight and narrow. But to your point, um, that's not really the most fulfilling way to go about life. And it's not guaranteed. You know, that's what the whole experience taught me is that I can do everything right. Do I, I, you know, I could be a great engineer and still get fired. You know, I can fail at something that was so safe. And I think for the longest time, I used to think that being scared of failing meant that I wouldn't fail. And, you know, so when I, when I really, it, when, when the experiences came together, I'm glad you brought up my dad, you know, when Jerry died, that he was the first person I thought about, you know, I, when I was questioning everything, it was like, you know, the thought of something like that happening to my father, uh, was like the biggest wake up call I think I could have had. Uh, and I think that more than me feeling the lack of fulfillment, I think seeing someone like my dad who did take that chance and, and came to the U S and worked his entire life and followed everything and, and someone close to you like that experiencing something unbearable. Um, I think that just, that cemented, that was the first time I think my passion turned into my why and, and, and my why was so much stronger than anything else I was facing or experiencing. And, and just through that experience of, of almost engulfing myself in a why and a reason for wanting to do something, I think that gave me a path to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. it, it showed me the light. It showed me like just a whole nother way of living where if I'm chasing something that means a lot, if I'm chasing purpose or if I'm chasing this, this, this almost like this well of fulfillment, 
Um, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be an engineer. I could be doing anything, but all the right things are going to come in my life uh, if I just look at life through that lens. And I think that was really the changing point for me. Okay. So now your mind is blown and, and, and going back to reality, you're still a full-time engineer. You have yeah. no business experience. You're paying off thousands of dollars in student loans. P.S. You also, I understand uh, we're in a long distance relationship. So there's got a lot of moving parts to your life. Yeah. At the same time, you want to make this big shift to somewhere better, more fulfilling, different. How did you navigate all of that financially, practically speaking? Where did you start? Yeah. Um, so I I wasn't in a space to quit my job and just become a full-time entrepreneur, even though that's what my heart was telling me to do. Um, I was grateful enough to be – I was an engineer and I was making a good salary um, as an engineer. So what I first started doing was I stopped putting money into my 401k and I started investing in courses because uh, I realized that as a business owner, you can write off any education you have and you invest in. So I started an LLC and I just started, I honestly, I didn't take any extra money that I was saving because I still want, I still had to pay off my student loans. My student loans are, I think, you know, eight to 9%. Um, so I couldn't even invest in the market. Uh, I was actually getting a better return on investment by just paying off my student loans. So I didn't want to stop doing that because I knew that would dig me into a hole. So I just took whatever money I was putting in my 401k and moved that over to investing in courses, online education. And I found courses that taught people how to create a physical products business, how to launch products online using Amazon.com and Shopify and, and these different e-commerce outlets. And it was a very, um, it, it, the model made sense to me. So then I just followed each of these courses. At the time, I was so obsessed. I wanted to get there really fast because of all these circumstances that I had been exposed to, Jerry's passing, the thoughts about my dad. And so at that point, I, I really just kind of took each month I had the money put aside going into my 401k. I just take that and buy a new course and I'd invest in courses and I would just buy as many as I could that allowed me to learn a different facet of physical products. And then over time, by just following the process um, and investing all of my profits back into my company, uh, we started scaling really fast and, you know, focusing in on, we launched one product in September of 2015 that product went to uh, 15,000 a month in December of 2015. And then from there, I didn't take a single ounce of profit out just because I was working full time and I didn't need to. And I just kept doubling down on mastering that one thing that was working really well. So that one product in that one marketplace, which was Amazon to start us off, I just kept doubling down and investing, investing, investing. Uh, and then for, for Christmas, I, I took a bet on myself and emptied out my 401k. Uh, to then, you know, to, to fund that Christmas order. And that ended up being one of the best things that happened because we became a bestseller in a really competitive category and then sales took off. And then from there, it's just been kind of keeping up with the journey. Um, but I, I don't think I would have been able to do this if I didn't have my full-time job or my full-time income while I was building it. Yeah. And it was, uh, so practically, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are probably thinking, how do you build a, a full-time, you know, a company? Uh, while you're working full time. I mean, I think if you, if the fire's lit under you, like you kind of learn, if you throw, if you're thrown into the deep end of the pool and you don't know how to swim, you're going to learn how to swim pretty quickly. And that's, that was my experience. So I kind of had to learn how to delegate and trust other people and find outsourcers and not try and do everything myself, which are lessons that most people learn a lot later in business. 
I was forced to learn them early on, which is what I think sort of helped me build the company at the speed that I did. I have a friend who has a saying, which is failure is not an option. <laughs> I mean, on, on the one hand, you have to anticipate some failures along the way as you're building anything. But this concept of like ultimate failure, like I'm just going to throw in the towel, certainly along the way, you'll have hard lessons learned, but they'll be valuable. And it sounds like even though we don't love to tell people to cash out their 401ks on this podcast, but it sounds like it was not an option for you to not be able to recoup those, that money at some point down the road um, and build no, the, the company that you wanted. Yeah. The best way I like to look at it is, I mean, um, I'm actually a big fan of failing. I just like failing really fast because I've always found that struggle and failure and pain have been some of my best teachers. And so the faster I learn to, the faster I learn to fail, uh, the faster I get through those failures so that I can eventually get to the success. So, you know, I, th I think just almost failure isn't the problem. I think your relationship with failure is. And so if we just change the way we view failure, then it actually turns into a catalyst for exponential accelerated learning, which then compounds the more you fail because you learn how to fail better and better as time goes on. I like that. Tell us about your business today. I teased this in the beginning, okay. this idea of like creating an experience around coffee and then, which sounds simple and that's kind of the point and you've made a ton of money doing this. So tell us the genius <laughs> behind this, this business. Yeah. So, uh, we help people use coffee to live happier lives by creating products that transform the ritual of making coffee into a meaningful daily experience. So really everybody has, you know, a couple minutes before their day begins, a couple moments before a meeting begins, a couple moments that are just sort of fleeting as the day goes by. Well, what we try to do is we try to fill those moments. Um, and if those moments include coffee, which most for a lot of people around the world, it does, we try to fill those moments with intention. So, for example, if you're somebody who drinks coffee in the morning as opposed to hitting a button and getting a cup of coffee and running with it, um, what our company's mantra and mission really is, is to help people transform that ritual of making the coffee, of, of enjoying the coffee, of grinding the beans, of smelling the beans, of learning about the farmers, of all of these little things that sort of happen in the process of, of making a great cup of coffee. We just bring the presence back to the process. And we give tools and practical ways for people to essentially enhance those existing rituals. We're not having anybody do anything new. We're just helping people become more intentional about the process of enjoying a cup of coffee. And by extension, using that as a gateway for them to experience more intention in every part of their life. So... Yeah. It's not intuitive to think that people want to spend more time making their coffee. How did you know this would work? Um, I didn't. I knew it worked for me. Uh, I knew that when I was working full time, I mean, coffee's always been a gateway for me. I didn't start a new meeting without a cup of coffee. You know, I would go into the meeting room, pick my coffee. My first sip almost turned into a reset button. And I realized that people around me were having a similar experience with a cup of coffee. They didn't know that this coffee was having an impact on them in that way. But you could tell just by the way and the way their habits spoke for them. So I think 
more than anything, I just learned to become intentional and, and aware of like self-awareness was a big thing for me, especially as I was going through a lot of just teaching myself entrepreneurship. And I had to learn to become very self-aware. And so by becoming aware of how the ritual was impacting me, I think I was able to recognize the patterns in other people. And so when we when we sort of transformed the way that we approached the, the model of coffee, um, you know, we took a, a product that that most people sell a coffee grinder and we sort of transformed it into an experience. And I think it was because I learned to listen to myself and I started noticing the way that it was showing up in my own life. And then, you know, just through talking to other people, market research and really sort of seeing the same sort of euphoric benefits of people having an experience with their coffee. I think that just gave me the confidence to continue pushing the message. And then it took off. Amazing. And we were talking earlier before we were recording that in some ways your business capitalizing, for lack of a better word, on people's desire to slow down and really enjoy the coffee lovers, you know, wanting to slow down and really enjoy the process of making their daily or, you know, 17 times daily brew. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's thanks to places like Starbucks where it's all about, you know, going in, going out, the speed and kind of losing the magic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, and I'm glad you should capitalize because I think that every business has, I think every business has a soul um, for a problem they're fixing. I mean, there's a reason why businesses do well. They're fixing some sort of problem. I think by intentionally understanding the deeper reasons why the problem exists in the first place allows for a way for businesses to create almost movements or for businesses to create exponential positivity in the lives of their customers. Starbucks is a great example. Starbucks was one of the first people to create this home away from home sort of mentality in a coffee shop, you know, and they didn't do that because they wanted to like it, it, capitalization was a process. But I think Howard Schultz really just understood that this was an experience he really enjoyed. And because he really enjoyed that experience, he wanted to spread it with others. And I think you know, when, so when, when I think about the way that our company is sort of organically grown, I mean, yeah, we did a lot of marketing, but all we did was take the message and amplify it. We didn't do anything more than just tell the story and really just tell the mission behind the company and the way our products are intentionally designed. And then word of mouth sort of took over because people started experiencing the happiness that comes from taking care of themselves in a small way every single day. And I think that's an, I think right now is one of the most incredible times we live in as business owners because, you know, people are yearning for this aspirational need. And as especially physical products in particular, you know, people are choosing to include your products in their day. They are like it's they are choosing to have you as a part of their 24 hours and sometimes actually just 12 hours. They're, they're choosing to have you in their day. And I think that, you know, focusing on this level of intention um, just in any level of business I think gives you a really amazing opportunity to help a lot of people and and by by extension of that, feel good about the work you're doing, which then allows your company to grow really fast. Raj, take us back to childhood again. I just I'm really fascinated by your background. Um, I think also because of my my similarities with being a child of immigrants. What is a money memory that you remember as a kid or a lesson or a conversation that has stayed with you all of these years? I think from a very young age, I've seen the power that money can have to to help people. Um, my my dad, you know, he still supports three or four families back in India. 
you know, my grandma, he, he's, he's paying for college for, um, a ton of kids out there who just don't have the resources to do so. And, and, and I've, and I've firsthand seen just how much, uh, fulfillment, how much happiness, how much, how much joy you can give others by having money. And so ever since a young age, I've always wanted to be successful just because I know the impact that can have on other people. Um, more than yourself. Yes, you can transform your own life. And I've never believed money can buy happiness. I just think money removes the stresses in life that allows happiness to exist freely. And so, but when you, when you, when, when you can exist freely, all of a sudden it turns into how can I use money to help other people? And uh, seeing my dad give back and my mom too, I mean, both of them sort of worked hand in hand to just always want to give back to their families in India. And uh, that's, that's been such an inspiring um, just growing around, growing up around that has been so inspiring for me. And I think it's, it, it is a part of who I am and it's a part of a, the reason why I'm so obsessed with evolved enterprise and the concepts of conscious capitalism, just because I do think that having money and succeeding, um, and succeeding in life is a gateway to really helping other people shine themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. This is maybe sounds like it's coming out of left field, but I, I I really like this question. So I ask of of a lot of guests. I'm, I'm recently starting to ask more guests this question. It's a question actually that um, comes as a part of my partnership with Chase Slate. So they're the sponsor of this podcast and they did a study mm-hmm. and they found that a majority of millennials, about three fourths of them made a purchase and then posted it to Instagram in the past six months. We are a mu- very much a sharing world right now. We love to talk about yeah. the things that we're consuming. So um, what was the last thing you bought that you shared on social media, it didn't have to be Instagram, but like you were really excited about it, or maybe it was an investment or a donation or something that you did with your money that you posted online. Oh my gosh, that is a great question. Um, that's really making me think right now. I'm usually not, uh, usually not floored like that. So thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, let me see. Uh, you know what? Actually, the last thing I, I shared uh, online was it was a gift from a friend. Um, and it, 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 there was nothing crazy special about it. It was actually a, a, like a, a pair of Bose headphones. So it wasn't anything wild. You know, it was just headphones. But just the intention behind the gift, I think, made me want to share it. You know, I, I just really appreciated, you know, I, we, we were talking back and forth and I'd helped him with something. And all of a sudden, you know, a week and a half later, I get these really nice headphones in the mail. And um, and, and, and that experience really uh, it, it compelled me to share and just talk about how much I appreciated him in general or just the idea of of, of gifting. So I think that's the last thing yeah. that I personally shared online. And it wasn't the product itself. It was the. It was the experience behind it and the people behind it that really made me want to share it. Well, they say money doesn't buy happiness, but experiences do. And yes. even if you purchase a thing, but it really resembles or it symbolizes an experience, I think that's um, a, a fulfilling way to allocate your resources, so to speak. Um, Raj, tell me also a little bit about, you talked earlier about how you like to fail fast. What's a money failure that you experienced that was a good lesson learned hard, but good. 
So my first ever stint in entrepreneurship was actually uh, trying to start a software company. And I had, that was like, I'd read The 4-Hour Workweek, which is a book by Tim Ferriss, and it kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of just the life I could have. So I found this course that sort of taught you how to have a software company online, no money down, nothing. And and so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to buy this course. And so I impulsively bought the course and I, uh, within, and, and, the, and the course, what they teach you is just go out there, uh, ask a bunch of business owners what their biggest pains are, and then develop a solution to fix the pain. Well, I chose breweries as my industry. And so I was cold calling breweries left and right. Uh, so within six months, I had, I think, talked to over 2000 brewers around the country during my lunch break. And at the end of it, I had asked them for money to build my solution because that was sort of what the course taught you. It was like, find a pain so painful, ask the people for money to build the solution, and then you have a software company. But when I asked them for money, uh, I didn't make any. And over the last six, over the six months that I had spent doing this, I was investing in the company and investing in logos and websites and all this stuff as if I was going to get the money. Um, and so that was really my first failure in entrepreneurship and just money really in general, because I put in a lot of money in the course and spent a lot of money and kind of researching these people and spent a lot of money almost assuming that I had won. And it was a very humbling experience for me. And it, uh, it taught me to test fast, uh, just as fast as I was failing. Cause I was failing a lot, but I wasn't testing fast enough. And so moving forward, it, you know, even my test now, before I put any money in anything, I always test the market or I'll get a gauge of how well it's going to do. And I'll, and I'll do a lot of that before I actually invest any money. Cause before I just kind of went in and went all in thinking it was a great idea. Cause this course told me it was a great idea and it failed. And so I think that was the first real money mistake I made and I haven't made it since. So Mistake well made. Yeah, a mistake made once is okay. Two, two times, three times, uh, there's a problem. Yep. All right. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks, Raj, and then I'll set you up back out into the world to you know keep making us happy with our coffee. <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is fix a really big problem in the world. I don't know. There's something about getting money that I like accidentally got. Um, and using it selfishly on myself, that just doesn't feel good to me. I don't know why. Like it feels like. But you paid very, the dollar, and you picked those yeah, numbers. I guess so. I guess so. You know, maybe. Um, but I don't know. It just feels really. Uh, that, that, that's a very fortunate. I'm already like the luckiest person on the planet for even being just born in the U.S. So um, there are people out there that need that. I don't know. I guess it would just feel really icky to me mm. in, in a way. I get it. Uh, yeah. I thought I totally understand that. I know. It's like it's like how I feel when I find a ten dollar bill on the ground. It doesn't happen often. But I found twenty dollars one time in line and I bought people ice cream with it. You yeah. Know? I like I, I'd wanna like or you know, if it's not like fixing one problem, I'd wanna like do something for the people in my life that I really care about. Mm. Whether it's like gift people like amazing things, like you know, like my brother really he's training to be a pilot. So I don't know if I had, if the lottery was big enough, I'd probably buy him a plane. Um, you know, some, some like that. I just think I'd, I'd want to do something for someone else. I, I don't think I would find a lot of joy in, uh, indulging, uh, myself with all of that, at least. Well, my- here that transitions us to my next question. When you yeah. do indulge, like what's a splurge? So this is the fill in the blank. When I splurge, I like to spend money on, Ooh, man, what do I like to, 
What I splurge on, um, I do splurge on tr- food and travel. Mm-hmm. And I like to splurge on things that are a part of my daily routine. Like, you know, like, like, like a journal. Like I like, I love to splurge on really nice markers and journals and, um, uh, my coffee, obviously I have a coffee company, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I invest in like really nice coffee makers and coffee equipment and, um, what's and, your Starbucks you know, order if you ever go there? I don't go to Starbucks, but uh, if I yeah. do, if I'm pushed against the if you're wall, at a coffee shop, what's your order? Oh, I usually get a pour over. Um, and if they don't have a pour over, I usually go with an Americano. What's a pour over? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm so, such a. So pour over is like a like a cone that sits on top of like it's it's like a you take a little filter you put it in there and you have like a, a kettle and you kind of like pour the water into the filter and then it slowly drips into like a carafe or some sort of glass. Um, if you honestly, if you saw it, you'd you'd be like, oh, I know what that is. It, it looks like a giant beaker. And it's just like coffee. You're, you're like making enough for one cup of coffee, but you're like pouring it. Like this is where baristas look all cool. Like when they're making like like a pour over coffee. Um, I, it's, I don't know how, to, how else to explain it. That, that, that's, that's at least the way that I look at it. It's like this giant um, – you're just brewing coffee manually by hand. So it's a handcrafted cup of coffee. Okay. I think that's the way to craft a cup of coffee. Maybe they design like a little leaf on top, you know, with the froth. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, so the that's like the my design, goal in life, by the way. It, latte art. Uh, latte art. Yeah. Latte art. That is a. Uh, so that's done more with espresso beverages mm-hmm. um, because the milk can be used to create like a frothy top. Uh, pour over is purely just black coffee, but. It's manually brewed, and so the way that it brews the coffee brings out subtle flavors that are much closer to the way coffee is naturally supposed to taste. So I drink my coffee black. I don't really add anything to it, no cream or sugar. And so uh, the pour-over is a great way for me to sort of taste the natural oils and, and essential parts of the coffee cherry itself. So um, it was actually a practice that was introduced to me when I first got into coffee, uh, and, uh, I've kind of just stuck with it cause it's a lot of fun to make. It takes me about six to seven minutes to make a pour over myself. But, um, in general, even when you're at a coffee shop, it, it takes a little bit of time. And so it's not something you'd probably get if you're like on the go, like trying to mm-hmm. get somewhere really fast. But if it's a Saturday morning and I'm sitting at a coffee shop and I want to have, which is usually when I go to coffee shops. Is it on the menu or you have to just know to ask for it? It's on the menu. So if they don't have it, they won't display it. Um, so if you're at a coffee shop and they see pour over, um, then they definitely have it. And they usually rotate out the beans that they feature. So, you know, there'll be like sometimes from Ethiopia, other times from Colombia, like it's just whatever they have in, in, in hand, uh, they'll make it for you. And it is really good. I really enjoy it. So if you haven't uh, tried it already, I'd totally recommend it. I feel like I've just gotten an MBA in coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, a master's or PhD. (laughs) Yeah. You know, taking the, the, the rabbit hole down the coffee train is a super, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, especially when you really get into it. Cause you can, you can learn so much about farmers and, and, and business and and just like relationships. Cause that's all coffee is. Coffee is one of the oldest beverages in the world. So when you really look at the history of coffee, you start to learn so much that makes you infinitely curious. Uh, so yeah, I would. I mean, if you're gonna go that, if you're gonna go down the path of uh, really starting to appreciate coffee, um, I think uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Cool. 
Thanks, Raj. Okay, last but not least, I'm Raj Jana. I'm so money because... I'm so money because I have an amazing team. I've got an amazing support system and uh, I'm very privileged uh, to, to just live, to live the life I am and I'm grateful for all the mentors. I'm so money because of the people around me. That's amazing. They say you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And yes. <laughs> uh, I suspect your top five are pretty incredible people. So thank you so much for coming on the show and educating me on coffee. You are so welcome. And it's so much more. Pleasure. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Varnish. To learn more about Raj's company, Java Press Coffee, please go to javapress.com. That's Java, P-R-E-S-S-E. You can also follow him on Instagram at Java Press Coffee. His podcast is called Stay Grounded. If you missed any of this, just hop over to somoneypodcast.com. You can download the audio as well as the transcript. And if you click on Ask Farnoosh, you can leave me a voicemail or type in your question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.